We have spent some considerable months in the Gospel of Matthew, and this morning at long last we come to the calling of Matthew as one of Christ's disciples. What a blessing it is to read this passage and to see the way that the Lord Jesus works in Matthew's life. And so we turn to Matthew chapter 9, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 9 to 13. Again, Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13. This is God's word. Give ear to it. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God, you have said in your word that you do not demand sacrifice, you demand mercy. A broken and contrite spirit is what you ask for, O Lord. And Lord... Christ Jesus has said as much even here in this passage. We thank you, Lord, for the calling of Matthew. Lord, we thank you that for all that he represents as a sinner, as a tax collector, as one who was looked upon with great disfavor in Israel, that you saw fit to call him to yourself, to make him one of your own. We thank you that in Matthew's calling, we too have hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've spent any time working your way through the Bible, and I encourage you all to read it, to spend time in it, to work your way through, go from Genesis to Revelation and back again, and you will see in these pages, as many of you have, that there are many instances where the Lord calls someone to himself. And you see this especially on the pages of the Old Testament. You see it in the case of Moses. You see it uh, with Samuel. You see it with Isaiah, with Jeremiah. And now in Matthew's Gospel, he's called, the Lord Jesus has called some disciples to himself. We saw that a few chapters back. But now in Matthew's Gospel, we see the account of uh, the Lord Jesus calling Matthew to be one of his disciples, to be an apostle. But I want you to think of uh, the young boy Samuel. Think about him and the way that the Lord called him. You remember Samuel, who'd been dedicated by his mother uh, to the temple and to the Lord's service. He was sleeping in the temple. He was serving under the priest Eli. And he heard three times at night uh, that still small voice who said, Samuel, Samuel. And each time, uh, Samuel thought it was the priest Eli. And he went running to Eli. And finally, Eli, Eli, uh, priest that he was, uh, realized that it was the Lord who was speaking to Samuel. And so he told Samuel to go back and to wait. And when, and when the Lord called him again to say, Here I am, Lord. Well, you remember the way that God called Isaiah. 
when Isaiah was there, he was the son of, of Amoz, and, and uh, the Lord gave him a vision, this great vision of angels worshiping, bowing down before the Lord. And they were singing uh, that wonderful hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy uh, is the Lord God Almighty. And when Isaiah had his guilt taken away, when he had this, that, that burning coal placed against his filthy lips, and his guilt and his sin were taken away, then the Lord said to Isaiah, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah readily answered his call, saying, Send me, here I am. And do you remember Jeremiah's call, to whom God said those famous words, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now this morning we have just read the account of Matthew being called into the Lord's service. And it's a very brief account, isn't it? One verse. Very few words are spent on Matthew's call. And while the way in which Jesus calls Matthew is not as remarkable as Samuel's as, or as Isaiah's or as Jeremiah's, it is remarkable nonetheless. The Lord calling Matthew is remarkable because of how unlikely a candidate he is to be a disciple of Christ. Samuel had been promised to the Lord by his mother, as we've already said. Isaiah was the son of Amoz, he was, uh, whom Jewish tradition calls the brother of King Amaziah of Judah and the uncle of King Uzziah. So Isaiah likely had royal connections. And Jeremiah's father was a priest in the land of Benjamin. They had credentials. Matthew had nothing. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was despised by his own people. He was a Jew who took money uh, from fellow Jews and gave it to Romans. And in the process, he probably took some and put it in his own pocket. He wasn't set apart uh, before his birth by his mother. He had no noble pedigree. His profession is most often mentioned in Scripture negatively, as in tax collectors and sinners. And so as we think about this passage this morning, I would urge you to consider this, that Jesus calls sinners undeserving of his favor into his service. And he loves us in spite of our continued sin. And he conforms us to his image. Again, Jesus calls sinners undeserving of his favor into his service. And he loves us in spite of our continued sin. And he conforms us to his image. Look at this passage in three sections. Verse 9, the call. Verses 10 and 11, sitting with sinners. And verses 12 to 13, mercy. Again, the call, verse 9. Sitting with sinners, verses 10 to 11, and mercy. Verses 12 to 13. So let's look now at verse 9. There are nearly 1,100 verses in Matthew's gospel, in these 28 chapters. And in all of those verses that the apostle wrote, even as integral a person as he was to the ministry of Jesus Christ, being among the 12, those select disciples who were in Jesus' closest circle, Matthew only mentions himself twice, two times. And both times when he mentions himself, he says that he is a tax collector. Matthew does not want to call attention to himself. But when he does, it's as if he wants to remind people of who he is. He wants to remind people of what kind of, of Messiah has come who would invite someone like him to be a part of his 12 disciples. And so verse 9 here is very straightforward. 
Uh, it says, as Jesus passed from on from there, he saw a man call, called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, the way that Matthew has structured his gospel, you've seen this. He structured it in an episodic pattern. He, he, uh, he places unconnected stories oftentimes side by side. He wants to give you this big picture of what Jesus is about and how he ministers and what he does. But there's evidence here, there's, there's indication here that what happens uh, in this passage immediately follows what happened in the preceding passage where Matthew he- healed this, or excuse me, where Jesus healed this paralyzed man. And we have evidence of this because the other two parallel, or excuse me, synoptic gospels presented in the same order. They move from Jesus healing this paralytic man to uh, passing by Matthew and calling him into his service. It appears that, that Jesus left the house of the paralyzed man. He pronounced forgiveness upon him. He healed him of his, uh, his, uh, his paralysis. And then he left that place and he came upon Matthew sitting in his tax booth. Well, the order that the Lord had ordained the events was such that they were to take place so that Jesus, he went from forgiving this man. He went from, for, from forgiving one helpless sinner to calling another helpless sinner. And Jesus didn't, but he could have said the same words to Matthew that he said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. These words were just as appropriate in Matthew's case as they were in Jeremiah's. It's impossible to know what went through Matthew's mind as Jesus approached him, but it is safe to say that Matthew was not expecting Jesus to come up to him and to say to him, follow me. Taxmen universally are looked upon with disfavor. My brother's father-in-law is a tax collector for the state of North Carolina. And my brother's family, they always have to watch what they say when he's around because comments may come out about the IRS and it may not be very positive. But Matthew and tax collectors of his time were utterly despised. There is no comparison to the way that we feel about the IRS today. These people were Jews, but they worked for the Romans. They were guilty most of the time with padding their own wallets. They took a percentage of what was to be given to the Romans and paid themselves out of it. Matthew was as unlikely a candidate for a disciple as you or I could imagine. And if you asked one of the multitudes of people who followed Jesus in his day, if you asked them, which of the twelve would betray Jesus? They would never have said Judas. They would have said Matthew, the tax collector. And they would have said it because Matthew had already betrayed his own people in their minds. So as Jesus approached, Matthew can imagine him. You can imagine him having that sinking feeling that happens when you've done something wrong and you fear that you're going to be held accountable for it. You're going to be called to account. Well, instead, Jesus commanded Matthew to follow him. Jesus knew his heart. He knew the sins that Matthew had committed. He knew that Matthew uh, was a despised person among his own people. And he knew that that was probably deserved. And yet, what did Jesus say? He did not condemn him. He did not put him down. He called him. He said, follow me. 
In his appointed time, Jesus called Matthew. Jesus spoke. And Matthew heard that irresistible voice of the shepherd of his soul. Jesus called Matthew by his free grace alone. There was nothing in Matthew that merited Jesus calling him. There was nothing in Matthew that merited his favor. He didn't look at Matthew and think, what a great guy. He'll make a great part of my team. He's so valuable. He has earned the right to be one of my disciples. If Jesus had been looking at Matthew's merits to determine whether to call him, he would have walked on past. At the very least, he would have walked on past. At most, he would have condemned him. But instead, Jesus looked upon him in love because he had chosen him before the foundations of the world. He loved him. He knew him. Now, let me ask you this. Who of us here is more deserving than Matthew to be called to be one of Jesus' disciples? Did we earn a place among Jesus' people? Like some great athlete, athlete earns a spot on a top college football team? Do we earn that? No. We are all as bad as Matthew. We're probably worse than Matthew was when we were called. We were just as dead in our sins and our trespasses as Matthew was. All of us who have embraced Jesus Christ have embraced him in faith by by Christ's free grace alone. We just sang these words, and they are true. I have found a friend, oh such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love, and, he, and thus he bound me to him. He loved us before we ever knew him. He loved us before we had ever set eyes on his face. He loved us while we were still sinners, just as he loved Matthew and called him according to his purpose. Jesus Christ earned our place among his people. We did not do it ourselves. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. Sitting with sinners, being irresistibly called, Matthew did what all of us did when we heard the Master's voice. He got up and he followed Jesus. And then in verse 10, we find Jesus reclining at table in the house. In Luke, we learn that this was none other than Matthew's house. Matthew's house. Jesus called Matthew, and it appears that the first thing that Matthew did, his response to his calling was to invite Jesus home, into his house, and to share a meal with him. Matthew was being hospitable. He was feeding Jesus. But it was not just Jesus that he was feeding. Verse 10 goes on to say, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. The tax collectors, the sinners, the disciples and Jesus were all sharing a meal together. And it's intriguing that Matthew didn't try to hide his associations with these people from Jesus. It's interesting that he didn't try to to, to shun these people now that Jesus had called him. Now that he was one of the twelve. What does he do? He takes him back. These were his people. They were outcasts. Just like Matthew was. They were his friends. And it appears that the evangelical thrust that you find throughout Matthew's gospel, this drive that Matthew has as he's writing these words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to show how Jesus is working among the Gentiles, how he's working among the nations, how he commands his disciples to go out and to make disciples of every nation. This emphasis 
was forged in Matthew's character from the very beginning. Matthew has an evangelical drive. He doesn't ditch his friends. He doesn't shun them. But neither does he act like it's old times. He invites his Lord and Savior to come home with him and to share a meal. He wants his unbelieving friends to come to know Jesus. Well, Charles Spurgeon said of this verse, probably they had been Matthew's boon companions, and now he wished them to become his brothers in Christ. And what does Jesus do? He comes along. Jesus would have been acutely aware of the implications of reclining at table with Matthew and with his friends. But he goes. And not only does he go uh, with Matthew to his house, but upon meeting the tax collectors and sinners, he reclines at table with them. This was a customary way in, in, in the Roman world to share a meal. And think about what it implies. They're, they're lying on, on these uh, 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 sofa-type uh, uh, structures, pieces of furniture. They're reclining with one another. There's a fellowship, a close fellowship that is implied by this. And that implication is exactly what the Pharisees pounce upon. Verse 11 says, And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees were convinced that the uncleanness of these people would rub off on them. They would get close enough to maybe peer in through the windows of the house and see what was going on or look through the doorway, but they wouldn't get so close that they could be contaminated by the sin of these people. They had their own system, these Pharisees, for attaining salvation. But it was for the Pharisees alone. It was for the Pharisees and people like them. They didn't care to share it uh, with the rabble, with the troublemakers, with the sinners, with the tax collectors. Well, there is always a danger. There's always a danger that even those who have been redeemed might be tempted into a sinful behavior by unbelieving friends. There's always that danger. We must be careful. But if your desire is to see these friends come to know Jesus, if your desire is to have your unbelieving friends become brothers and sisters in Christ, then this temptation will be greatly reduced. The likelihood that you're going to be seduced by their activities will be greatly diminished. Because your desire is not to go out and party like old days. Your desire is that they would celebrate at the great marriage feast of the Lamb on that last day. That they would be gathered together with all the saints and worship Christ Jesus for eternity. Let's turn now and look at verses 12 and 13. Jesus heard what the, what the Pharisees had said. And in verses 12 to 13 he responded, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick go and learn what this means I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous but sinners now there was a time in our not so distant past where doctors regularly made house calls it was very common and for a variety of good reasons, that is not the case today. There have been tremendous gains through treatments that can only be given in hospitals or in doctor's offices. And so it makes sense that rather than the doctor going out into a person's home, that they come to him, they come to her. 
that receive the treatment that can only be given there. But even though we've gained uh, much in modern days, I think we've lost something too. Concern and compassion are clearly demonstrated when a physician comes to an ill person's home. Uh, Recently, just a couple of months ago, my sister-in-law fell ill while she and her family were vacationing at the beach. There was a concern that she might have even had a stroke. And so she was rushed to the emergency room. And because the hospital was so far away from where they were were, uh, camping at the beach, when the doctor discharged her, when he said, it's not really uh, important right now that you stay there, but if you have any problems, you call me. Here's my cell number, my personal number, and I'll come to you. This was astounding. It doesn't happen anymore, but it spoke volumes to them about the level of care that this doctor was willing to provide a complete stranger. He later invited my brother to go out fishing with him. Uh, there, there was a camaraderie there, and, a, and, a, and it, was, it was a true blessing to them to know that this doctor cared. Well, to Jesus, the great physician, these sinners and these tax collectors are no better off than the leper or the paralytic were. All sinners are hopeless, and they are helpless to do anything about it. And so what does Jesus do? He goes to them. He takes the treatment to them. He goes into our homes. He meets us, not uh, where we can reach Him. He meets, meets us where we are, in our sin and misery. A healthy person doesn't need a doctor. A sick person does. Well, the Pharisees, they wouldn't be surprised to find a doctor among the ill. And if they knew who Jesus was, they wouldn't have been surprised to find him among sinners. And because they refused to believe, they refused to receive him. They refused to give him the credit that he deserved, that he was there. To give mercy, to show mercy, to show forgiveness. Well, in verse 13, Jesus quotes the prophet Hosea, he says to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It's as if Jesus is saying, read your Bible. Do you not know your scripture? Study it. Learn what this means. The nerve Jesus had telling the Pharisees, telling them that they should go and study But you see, the background to this passage, this verse in Hosea is uh, found throughout the book. And you're familiar with this. Hosea 4, God accuses his people, Israel, of having no faithfulness. He says they have no steadfast love. And he says they have no knowledge of God in the land. And yet, without knowledge, without steadfast love, without faithfulness, Israel continues to go about. They go through the motions. They go about offering sacrifices. They do things just because that is what they think they're supposed to do. They're playing at religion. And Jesus quotes the Greek version of Hosea 6.6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Israel was guilty in Hosea's day of performing an empty ritual. They were just going through the motions when they offered their sacrifice. And Jesus is accusing the Pharisees of doing the exact same thing here. The Pharisees were more than happy to point out the sinfulness of others, but they did not regard themselves as sinners. And because of this refusal to acknowledge their own sin, the sacrifices that they so dutifully offered served no purpose. 
Why do you offer sacrifice if you don't think you're a sinner? Why do you come and worship the Lord if you see no fault in yourself? Why do you stand before him in a worship service and confess uh, during a time of confession of sins and yet have nothing to confess because you see nothing wrong with yourself? The sacrifices of the Pharisees were empty and this is why Jesus quotes Hosea to them. In their own minds, the Pharisees had no need for Jesus because they did not see themselves as being exactly like the tax collectors and the sinners. They did not need mercy. In their own minds, this is what they thought. And this mindset, it's a danger to all of us. It is very easy for us, we who have been redeemed, to overlook our sin. It's very easy for us to forget about it. Even while the sin of others is glaringly obvious to us, it stands out in stark contrast. We fail to see our own. And so we must constantly remind ourselves and allow ourselves to be reminded by others that we are sinners. And in this way, we will see that God desires mercy. And we will see not only that, but that we are in desperate need of God's mercy in our lives. Well, in the last sentence of this passage, Jesus said, For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is not speaking of the truly righteous here because there is so not, uh, no such person, humanly speaking. But those who persist in seeing themselves as righteous in their, own, in their own eyes, in spite of all the evidence to the contrary, Jesus says, those he did not come to call. He did not come to call them. There must be a true awareness of sin. But this awareness comes from God. It comes from the Spirit who regenerates the heart of sinful men. When we are enabled to see our sin for what it is, we know this can only happen because God is making us aware. And what is the result of this awareness? What happens here? We throw ourselves at God's mercy. We cast ourselves upon His mercy seat. We bow before Him and beg for His forgiveness. But not only that, when we receive mercy, when we are aware of our sin and we receive that mercy, what else does it do? Well, it bears fruit. It causes us to have compassion on others, on other sinners. It keeps us from looking at other people and looking down our noses at them, seeing ourselves as better because we're so acutely aware, we're intimately aware of our own sin and our own desperate need for God's free grace. And... It drives us, like Matthew, to tell the good news of salvation to those who do not know Jesus Christ. Well, this sense of our own sinfulness will also remind us that just as Christ loves us in spite of our sin, we are to love other, other believers in spite of their sin. And this is very difficult. It can be very challenging. We fail to see our own, we look at others, and we struggle and churches are torn apart by an unwillingness on the part of its members, her members, to love each other in spite of sin. Pray that the Lord would give you this gift to love other people, to love other believers who sin against you, who do things that you disagree with. Pray that the Lord would enable you to love them in spite of this, even when their sin continues to be obvious to you. And this sense of our own sinfulness will drive us to our physician 
again and again. We will go to Him. We will seek His healing. We will seek His forgiveness. Well, just as Matthew was an unlikely candidate for a disciple of Jesus, and in reality, just as uh, those prophets of the Old Testament that we mentioned before, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the others, just as they were unlikely, they were undeserving, they didn't deserve or have any reason to be called by God in and of themselves. Just as they are unlikely, so are each of us. In truth, no one who has been called has ever been worthy of that calling. He calls us by His unmerited grace alone. And you and I must strive to remind ourselves and seek to be reminded by God's Spirit of how desperately we need His grace. We've got to see our sin for what it is so that we are able to see our Savior for who He is. Jesus calls you. And he's called me to follow Him. And by His grace, He enables us to faithfully follow Him all the days of our lives. But He calls us each and every day to renew us and to make us able to follow Him. Let us come before Him now in prayer. Gracious God, thank You, O Lord, that You have called Your people to Your service. And we pray, Lord, now that we would be faithful servants, that we would love You, and that we would love others, that we would faithfully obey Your Word, and that we would faithfully proclaim the good news of salvation in Christ to all sinners would help us to love other people and to look upon them with compassion. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.